Hello and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Soundbites. Today I'm joined with a special guest of mine, Monica Lai, who is co-founder and director of a data consulting company or data analytics consulting company, Edgeread. Yes. Um, and we've known Edgeread uh, professionally over the past year, uh, helping them out, finding some pretty talented people across the data space. And I'm very fortunate to be joined with you today um, to hear your story about uh, not only why you started Edgeread, but also a bit more about your, your background and history and uh, being a, a female leader in tech in the tech space um super excited to be um to hear in this story so thank you so much for for joining me today yeah and thanks for having me here i'm also very excited to share my story as well oh awesome awesome um well let's start off with a couple of funny stories actually okay. <laughs> i'm nervous <laughs> that i wanted to sort of delve into because i remember when i first met you, you when i was talking to you about this and coming on the show yeah um you were talking about like a couple of things with you and your business partner when you first started edge red about yeah. what you guys had to do to sort of um you know change your appearance slightly uh, and stuff yeah. like that to yeah, sort of be yeah. um, you felt like a bit of imposter syndrome there yeah um in, in the corporate world so do you, yeah. want to, do you want to elaborate a bit further on that yeah no for sure when um so i started the business six years ago now wow congratulations um, so i think i was maybe 25 26 then yeah yeah wow um so, so yeah we're, we were pretty young um and one of the things that we struggled with was you know um getting clients to treat us seriously yep and didn't help that you know we've got baby face uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> when we went to meet clients we we definitely wanted them to kind of treat us seriously yep. um and didn't think that we we're a bunch of kids that you know just came out of uni or something mm -hmm. um i think we've been mistaken as grad students before wow. uh, so definitely a, a bit of an imposter syndrome when we first started um, we kind of um, went out of our way to dress up older as well. Yeah. So I would definitely hide my age and not reveal it if possible. Ooh, really? uh, I, I had like blonde hair at the time. So changing oh. it back to natural hair color, yeah. um, dressing a bit older, you know, wearing um, corporate, corporate clothing um, and all that. So yeah, even, I think even now I'm, I'm a bit more comfortable sharing my age, but I tend not to reveal it if, if possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no real need to, I don't think so. Um, and in the HR circles, it can be like deemed as a bit illegal and, and definitely unethical. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what sort of clothes did you wear? Um, what did you used to wear <laughs> to not look yeah, professional corporate? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think well, what I, yeah, just just like, you know, button-up clothes, skirt, yeah, blazer. Um, a lot more relaxed now, yeah. as you can probably tell, um, as I'm like, you know, we're, we're a lot more comfortable with yeah. um, the business and where we're at today. Uh, but at the beginning, definitely felt a lot of insecurity um, and um, that we had to kind of appear as if we were a lot much mature. Um, so, so that was something we struggled with. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, not only with clients, but also um, I guess this was probably maybe like more in our head than actually what's in reality. Sure. Uh, we could just be kind of, um, you know, have, having all these thoughts, but in reality maybe that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of what imposter syndrome is, right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of more in your head. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we also hired people as well. And um, we, we also wanted, you know, employees to, to take us seriously as well as um, their employers. Yep. So it, the, the com coming across as mature wasn't just for clients, but also for, um, you know, our internal team as well. Internal perception, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, how, like, you know, you said a lot of things about in, in your head. Was there any sort of strategies or anything that you – were you aware of it at the time? And, like, were there things that you did to overcome it besides dressing differently? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it was around, um, you know, how, how to um, appear more mature is, is one thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way you talk as well, you oh. know, taking pauses, sounding more confident. Um, and, yeah, just watching a bunch of videos and yeah. tips on how, um, you know, how, how people um, address their audience sometimes. Uh, we, we take um, some advice from different people, our mentors as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, why data? That's a good one. 
Um, when I was in uni, I studied math. Um, so I actually didn't even know what data analytics was. Yeah. Um, and at the time, people were asking me, you know, why am I studying math? Like, what am I going to do with my degree? Yeah, yeah. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so I started applying for a bunch of internships. Um, and Deloitte had an op like had an internship for um, data analytics, oh. and there it wrote like prerequisites was like you know stats or math degree, yeah, yeah. and so I just signed up for that um, and then went through. Um, I had a really good experience there. Yeah, I I was paired up with a very good team, a good manager and good partner. Yeah. And they gave me some pretty interesting projects to do. Yeah. Um, and that's where my eyes kind of opened to you know the world of data. Um, and yeah, my passion just kind of grew from there. This is going to sound a bit random. Was it part of Deloitte Access Economics or was it? Uh, no, there was okay. their analytics team. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah, Did you know yeah. Deloitte Access? Have you heard of that? Um, I have heard of it. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's where can... my brother used to work and they had yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just came to me just then. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, when we were there, um, we had like a centralized data analytics function. Mm -hmm. um, I did my internship there. Then I was offered a grad position. So I came back to do that. Um, and then at that point, they kind of broken us up into different teams. Um, so I was aligned more with their um, fraud analytics. So I oh, did a bunch with, um, you know, financial institutions. Yeah. Was it cool? Uh, at the start, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, at the start, it was. There was a lot of traveling. I did a lot of traveling yeah. to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at first, it was really fun, yeah. but then I got sick of it pretty yeah. quickly. Um, it was pretty isolating. Mm. So I, I figured out pretty quickly that um, traveling was not for me. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I think the uh, the fantasy of traveling with work is good for exactly what you just said, but then you're kind of like, oh, I still actually have to work. And, yeah. you know, when you're yes. done working, yes. you actually just want to go sleep in. Exactly. Then, yeah, yeah. You spend most of the time in the hotel room just finishing up your yeah. work as well, so not not as glamorous as mm. it seems. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, fast forward, what prompted you to start Edgerett? Um, So I was at a company beforehand. Um, so I, I worked at Quantium for a mm -hmm. bit and then I moved to Macquarie Bank, yep. um, all in, you know, data analytics space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I kind of got to a stage where I felt like I wanted to change. Um, not exactly sure what the change was. Um, and then my co-founder, Howard, yeah. um, who I met at Quantium, he kind of reached out to me and said, hey, Mon, there's like this opportunity to um, join Accelerator. So it actually was Westpac's first data accelerator. All right. Um, and they, uh, it was basically um, exclusive access to their data, the banking data via the Data Republic platform. So it's all you know de-identified de and secured and all that and aggregated. Um, so we we thought it would be you know fun to join that. We were both in the stage where we wanted to try something different, yeah. and we were going to. Kind of apply for different jobs anyway yeah sure and so for us we felt you know why why don't we just um quit our jobs do this startup and see where it goes yeah um if we enjoy it then let's keep doing it if yeah. we don't enjoy it then let's just go and yeah. find another job so for us the risk factor was um not not that high yeah um, at least in that from our perspective anyway um so that's kind of how, how it started yeah so they were they had like a, a problem or Westpac had like a an opportunity to say all right we want to create a, a, a startup inside the business looking at their own data yeah and then you guys come together and start up yeah. how good yeah yeah it was pretty good um so it um the purpose of it was to find innovative way to commercialize their data mm. um so we were there with a cohort of other members as well or working on different ideas um, so we did start off with um, working on, say, a product idea. Mm. So Howard and I spent months, just the two of us, kind of trying to build out a product um, using the data. Um, so we built, like, proof of concept. We tried to go to market and sell it, and that, that's kind of where I was alluding to about, you know, getting clients to treat us seriously. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> we were pitching these product ideas to them and, them, uh -huh. you know, not treating us like grad students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is internal in, in Westpac as well. Uh, like we had Westpac stakeholders as like mentors, yeah, but then yeah. it was to kind of prove out ah, the concept with actually like other businesses to yeah, see sure. if they would purchase um, the product. Uh, we quickly learned that it 
it wasn't the way to go. There was many like things that we found as we progressed through the startup, which made it not so feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were thinking to ourselves, like, hey, you know, we work pretty well together, maybe not on this product, but maybe we can transform Edred into something else. Yeah, was it called Edred at the time? Yeah, it was yeah. still called Edred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we went back to the drawing board and we were thinking, you know what, we're good at consulting. Yeah. Why don't we just do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we found our first consulting client um, and then we kind of just, funded ourselves that way. Yeah. Um, so we never took any investment. Yeah, we kind awesome. of just bootstrapped um, the whole way through. Um, so we found money, like we um, found clients, we worked on them ourselves. Um, and then from there, we kind of expanded the work and then we hired people using the money that we earned from these client projects. Yeah. Um, so at the beginning, like we weren't really taking a salary. Mm-hmm. So everything that we earned, we just went back to investing into the, the company. Mm. So all organic growth. Yes. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, when did you, uh, from that, like, when did you get to the point where, like, you were able to sort of take a salary and and be able to say, like, cool, where this is it, we we're, we're good. Uh, it wasn't too long, to be honest, because uh, we are so um, scrappy with everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We, um, we we actually were able to save a bit. What do you mean by that? Like, <laughs> so at the beginning, we wore multiple hats. Like yeah, I think sure. I it's not just at the beginning. I think we only just recently let go. Yeah. So we were our own like accountant. We were our own legal like lawyers. We were our own like everything. So I did like payroll, admin, yeah. our website, like everything we would do it ourselves. Yeah, sure. Um, but that meant that we would um, basically work around the clock. Mm-hmm. Like really funny like example of this is um, we use Confluence mm-hmm. and I hope the Alaskan guys don't like come after me for this, but um, there is this deal where um, for the first 10 um, logins, yeah. um, it's only like $10 a month or something like that. Right. And so for the longest time, we would just, I would just keep activating and deactivating accounts in the team. Um, so we would go under the 10 threshold. Sure, yeah. um, and then it got to a point where <laughs> Our team was just too big and it was just not feasible. <laughs> and so we, we, we said to ourselves, you know what? I think we can afford like. We just pay for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was just little examples. We made it, guys. We can pay for confidence. <laughs> all right. All right. Good. Um, okay, cool. So when, after we first met, I, um, you forwarded me on, you did another podcast about, yes. um, more so about, I guess, more of a personal journey of mm. um, your parents and yes. obviously deep down to, to yourself as well. Um, I, I was glued to it. It was a great, great production um, to the people who did it. Um, but the story was like heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. Mm. And um, and I think like listening to it and then knowing you, um, I, I honestly feel like there's there's a lot there in terms of like how that's influenced you into your mindset of who you are and mm. what you bring to the business as well. Do you want to elaborate a bit further around that? Yeah, yeah. So um, the background is that my parents are um, refugees. So my mom's from Vietnam and my dad's from Cambodia and they both respectively left their country by boat. Um, super like terrifying story of how they got to um, Indonesia. So my mom and dad both kind of went by boat um, from their countries to Indonesia and somehow survived on the fishing boat. Um, Incredible story and it kind of breaks my heart when I hear about it. Um, Then they spent about uh, maybe five or so years um, in the refugee camp in Indonesia. Um, That's kind of where they met. Um, Yeah, and, and just hearing like the experience that they had there, you know, there wasn't enough food to eat, um, that, you know, there was um, violence and like, you know, just terrible sights. Mm. Um, yeah, it it's crazy to think about it. It feels like something that you watch in a movie, yeah. um, but to know that my parents actually experienced that, um, it definitely has impacted me and the way that I um, approach life. Mm. Um, so they met at the refugee camp, um, 
romantic story was that they actually couldn't actually um, communicate with each other. So they had different um, languages that they spoke. Uh, <laughs> but through pointing and, you know, eating together, they somehow uh, figured out how to communicate. My dad learned um, Cantonese for my mom. Um, and they actually had me there as well. So I was born in the refugee camp. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I came to Australia when I was one. Yeah. Um, my mom came, like she was approved to come first with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so she had a whole chapter in her life where she had to navigate this new foreign country by herself with a one-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, which is so, so it's crazy. Insane. Especially with, now. Yeah, yeah, without your dad. Yeah. Without my dad. Um, he joined a year later. But now like that I have a child of my own. Um, I know how demanding a one-year-old is oh and God. to navigate that like experience that she had, I just, I can't believe it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, yeah, being a mum yourself would yeah. really eye-open that. Yeah. And you're like, I'm sorry I was ever a brat. <laughs> yes, <I> a <laughs> exactly. So the, the reason, like, the reason why I bring it up is because if you think about their experience and, and what they went through, actually like life and death situation yeah. like that is a life and death situation and you know what they had to go through and to come here um, from all their perseverance um, it's so inspiring and I always kind of think about that um, and it drives me because you know when I think about what I need to do um, and what my life looks like now because of what they've done and what yeah. they've sacrificed um, it kind of put things in perspective. Oh my God, 100%. <laughs> yeah, like what's, what do I need to do? Like what are my toughest challenges? Like maybe a client's not happy with me or like an employee leaves or maybe we run into some cash flow issues. Like, so what? Mm. <laughs> I would be able to, I, was, I can survive. You know, there are yeah. things you can do. Um, and, you know, that that's what I kind of reflect on and that's what grounds me. Yeah, yeah. I, I can absolutely... When, yeah, knowing that your family has gone through something like that and then realising that, yeah, whenever a little, you know, those issues yeah. seem like monumental issues at the time or whatever they are, are nothing compared to, to that. So, yeah, that's... Exactly. And it doesn't help that they don't talk about it either. So you kind of don't really they didn't remember. No, they don't really talk about yeah. it. Um, it was... So if you do listen to the podcast, I got my mum to actually yep. talk about her story. Um, that was probably the first time I heard some of the things that she had to say. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was myself. Mm. Um, I'd like to hear my dad's version one day. Yeah, right. He's very quiet about it though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. But, um, and then the story of them coming to Australia, um, I think you guys started off in Cabramatta and then moved yes. to, to Wollongong. Yes. Yes. Um, and just hearing that in itself about the, there's, there's an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial drive there mm. from your family from the start. Yes. My parents, I don't know. I don't know where they get their drive and energy from. Mm. Um, I think they they just want to protect me and my brother so fiercely mm. that um, like they are not afraid to take risk. So when we did arrive, we arrived in Cabramatta. Um, they did find uh, jobs to, you know, put food on the table. Yep. Um, so my mom was um, a waitress in one of the restaurants and my dad um, learned how to cook in Chinatown. Yeah. So that's where he started to learn the different dishes and then picked up a few other languages as well. Um, and then we, we grew up around the Cabra area. Um, and then one day, like this, this was basically, I think, um, the trigger of everything was um, we got robbed one day yeah. um, and the robber came and stole everything that was valuable to my parents that they worked so hard for. Um, and then, like, they, it just hit them and they said, you know, we need to figure out a way to give, you know, myself and my brother a better life. Uh, we need to do something. We can't just stay here and, like, you know, keep doing this. There's, there's, there's something that we need to do. Yeah. And so they took a risk. Um, they went and tried to find um, a place to open a restaurant. So those were skills that they had. Mm. So my mom had, you know, waitressing, like, um, front of house skills. Yep. And my dad had back of house skills. So they could actually work together yeah. to do something. Obviously, they've never run a business before. But my mom, um, she did 
um, she came from a very like um, not well off family in Vietnam, okay. and so she also had to make do um, and you know selling things on the streets and There's stuff. So kind of the kind of way, yeah, the scrappiness, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah must run in the family. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, that's kind of where she kind of uh, found her uh, entrepreneurial spirit from. Um, so they took a risk. They find something to well, found a place to lease. It was actually was a struggle for them as well because um, also they were quite young looking and could, no one would take them seriously. Right, Maybe that's where know. my insecurity came from. <laughs> um, yeah, so they finally found a place in Wollongong, which was um, if you guys don't know where Wollongong is, like two, like I'm sure you do, uh, like two hours. I like well, to hope most people listening to this know where Wollongong is. Yep. Yeah, so I I actually grew up um, most of my childhood in Wollongong. Yeah, I went to. Um, Wollongong Public School, and then I went to Illawarra Grammar School. Oh yeah, and then I went to Wollongong University. Yeah. So I was there for a long time. Yeah, uh, it was my home. Yeah. Um. So there they started uh, their restaurant. So they actually opened uh, a multiple restaurants around Wollongong, um, and selling you know Asian like Westernized Asian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know your fried rice, rainbow beef, kind yeah. of, kind of. Dish. So they started with one, and yeah. then they opened more. Uh, so. I think my parents have a drive to open businesses, but when it comes to taking it the next step, I think they've never really kind of got there. Um, so they would open the restaurant that they would run themselves. And then once they kind of felt like they needed a break, they would sell it All right. and then they would take a break. Uh, and then they'll open another one okay. and then do the same thing. Oh, so they've done that like three times now. Yeah. Okay. So they didn't have them all up separate like different ones like no, a chain yeah, or anything yeah, or just like yeah. setting up in your okay yeah okay. yeah so Fair they enough. they were pretty um i'd say like control freaks yeah yeah. Right. they need to like do everything themselves mm-hmm. um and they need to be there every day um so uh growing up like i was you know you always hear stories or you can see like kids start like like you know little 12 year olds like you know doing their homework in the back of the restaurant that, yeah. that was me yeah that's why i just <laughs> imagine you just giving your books out yeah. Your yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I was um, really um, into that restaurant scene at a very early age. I started helping them out very, very young. Yeah. Um, so I was helping them, you know, as a cashier and as a waitress. So yeah. most, mostly front of house stuff. I can't cook. Like, yeah, yeah, I cannot yeah. cook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't cook? <laughs> no, no, no. They never let me in the kitchen. Oh, They're like, oh, my gosh, she's going to, like, she's going to, like, slice her hands up or something. Yeah, it's uh, so funny. Um, you sound like my wife's. Oh, your parents sound like my wife's mum because like um, she's she's amazing cook. My wife's was really good as well. But um, uh, my wife's mum, she's the Indian. She's yeah. Indian, and um, she wouldn't let her in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Now I have no survival skills. I, I mean, I can order on you, but eat. That's basically it. Uh. <laughs> yes, yeah, so us millennials. That's how we survive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. So how do you think that influenced you? Yes, it's really interesting because I remember um, at a very early age, um, I always took it upon myself to try and improve their business. Okay. So uh, because I was their first firstborn um, oldest, yeah. you kind of have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, and yeah. my parents being someone who doesn't speak English as well, yeah, sure. um, they would rely on me on a lot of things. So that meant I was pushed into this role like this adult role at a very early stage, mm-hmm. like helping them navigate their accounting, mm-hmm. um, helping them understand their cash flow, helping them, you know, hire, and even designing the menu. I did everything. Yeah, well. So I did everything in terms of like setting up a restaurant um, down to like, you know, picking what color paint to um, put on the, on the you know, stores and stuff like that. Um, I remember this particular moment where like, this was like back in the days where, um, rest, you know, waitress used to use, you know, the paper pad. pads. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to take your order. Um, <laughs> so they would, you know, use that, um, put the table number on it, and then they just kind of put it on the counter. And then later when someone comes to pay, they're like kind of rummaging the table to find the right table number to give to the customer. Sure, yeah. And I remember like, oh, this is uh, maybe like 12 year old or something. I was standing there going, surely there's a better way to yeah. do this. Um, and so I, what I did was I went to get, um, you know, those diaries, like, with the dates in it. Yeah. I bought a really small one of those diaries. And then what I did was I just sep- added a separator 
which had like table numbers on them. Okay. So you had like a like a section for like table one, table two, table three. Yeah. And then you could just open it and put your little paper docket in the section oh, yeah, where the sure. table is. So then yeah. it's just all organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I learned at a very early age, like um, that I hated if it, uh, inefficiency. Yeah. And so I would always be on the lookout on like how you can improve um, your business, how you can make things more efficient, um, and how you can automate certain things. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe um, just being in like exposed to that environment had already like trained me up to you know do some of the things I do now. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely appreciate you doing that as well. So that little divider thing. So like uh, it was just just a uh, a diary. And yeah, you just, like, separated. It's just so in. simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so simple. Nothing crazy <laughs> about it, but it's just like save your ton of time. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and there's no more lost dockets hmm. in the end. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. What do you think is your biggest lesson? Um, and I, I want to talk about running a business, but I'm actually like, what do you think your business lesson has been from your parents? Hmm. I'm very fortunate to have the parents that I have. Yeah. Um, like, very unlike other Asian parents, they never put any pressure on me. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's a typical story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very like non-Asian of them to do that. So even if I kind of came home from school, I didn't do the best, they would, they would be like, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think what I learned from them is that, you know, there are different ways, there are different paths you can take to get to the goal that you want to go to. Mm. So like I remember one time I came home and yeah, I did not do so well on this exam and I was beating myself up about it. And then my mom was consoling me. She's like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Even if you don't do well, what's the worst that can happen? Like you can't get into uni, then so what? Just do something else. Like, you know, yeah. do a TAFE degree or do a bridging course or wow. whatever it is. Or don't go to uni and go like, you know, run a restaurant or, you know, you've got so many options. Um, you don't, if you don't pass this one path, um, what's like, what's the worst that can happen? Yep. So that's one of the mottos that I actually apply yeah. like also quite often. Yeah. Um, so. yeah. So I think people always like say, or they, they think that I'm a risk taker, but I'm not like a straight out risk taker. No. What yeah. I do is I look at the option and I weigh the yeah. different, like, like, uh, for every path that I take, I have different backup options. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can deal with like the worst that can happen in that, like going down that path, then, you know, I'm, I'm good. That, mm-hmm. that gives me a lot of comfort. And so I think I handle stress pretty well. Yeah. Um, so you put me in like environments where you know, high stress. Um, I, I think I deal with that um, quite well. I had practice, you know, because mm-hmm. my parents' restaurant was quite booming yeah. as well. And, you know, having food dockets thrown at you and food coming out like so quickly and the customers kind of yelling at you and asking for things, you kind of learn how to deal with that. No, so yeah. I think that was a great training ground for, you know, dealing on in high, high pressure environments. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And particularly when you, you've got the... Your, your bosses being your parents as well when you're doing that as well. I think it almost became reversed yeah. towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw out all the inefficiencies. So I think, um, yeah, you became COO of uh, <laughs> a restaurant in Wollongong for sure. What about um, what about running Edgeret? You know, been doing it for six years now. What do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned from that? Uh, it's hard to say the biggest lesson. Um the reason why I love running Edred yeah. is because I love the autonomy. Yeah. I love being able to do things the way that I want to do it. Yeah, but I know I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not taking the best path always. And um, I think the lesson is that you need to know that you may not get it right all the time. Yeah, and no. when you don't get it right, don't get defensive. Mm-hmm. Just learn from yeah. it. Um, don't try try to make excuses for why things didn't work. Just accept it. Try and understand why and don't make the same mistake again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over the course of EdRed, like, you know, whilst we have a lot of great projects, sometimes you get um, ones that don't work out the way that you want. And from those experiences is where you learn the most. So from, from projects which don't go the way you want, that's where you learn the most. 
Um, so I would have, you know, projects probably that, you know, could have gone better. And I reflect with the team and myself and we have on a conversation on what, what happened. Mm. Um, and then we like, we think about what we can do better. And so the next time that, um, some, like the next time you go on a project, you are more, um, receptive to signs that the project may be not going the right way. And oh, then yeah. you can kind of, you know, put things in play to try yeah. and bring it back on track. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, it's, it, it's not a one lesson, but it's kind of a ongoing lesson yeah. and, and you, you improve yourself, um, you know, every day. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I saw an, uh, I think it was an Instagram post or something. It was, um, and I used it on my son the other day. It was, uh, yeah. you know, you're going to play games and in life and you're either going to win or you're going to learn. Yes. Yeah. You never lose. 100% right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying my hardest to instill that into a four-year-old's mentality. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, if he loses at anything, it's yeah. the the chess table gets flipped or the, the golf club comes flying at me or mm. whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, you only lose if you give up. Yeah. that's. I love that. Yeah. It's when you quit <laughs> is when you lose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When did you come with that? Just, just now. Just that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That is, yeah, that is, um, that is the truth. Yeah. Yes. It's when you, if, if you give up or quit, that's, that's when you lose. That's Everything right. Everything else is a lesson. Yeah. yeah the big, like, owning your own business and running, like running any, any business or even like running your own team, not even your own business, just mm. a team or projects. Um, you have to learn to be resilient. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big thing. Um, and things aren't always going to go your way. Mm. Um, things that will happen that's outside of your control. Yep. Like, I don't know, maybe so, like something totally external happens. COVID happens. I don't, yeah. Anything could happen. Oh. And it's just about being resilient and then thinking about, okay, cool, this has happened. What can we do about it? Yep. Um, the moment you kind of, you know, point fingers or feel like, oh, I can't do this or you give up, that's that's where it starts going downhill. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right. Cool. Talking about uh, kids, what do you think being a parent has taught you? You've recently become a parent, a mum. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, probably controversial to say, but I never really knew if I wanted kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always felt like, um, you know, quite career-driven um, and I always thought, you know, oh, maybe no kids. Yeah. But then I got a bit older, you know, hit the – big you know 30 milestone yeah. and you start thinking oh maybe I should start thinking about um having kids and so I kind of just did it mostly to I don't know because I felt like I needed to yeah, yeah and it was like I was at the life stage that yep. I needed to have kids so I just, just, now just had one yeah um and even when the I, I was really like you know big big belly I was still like worried like I'm like I don't know if I'm ready for this yeah, 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 yeah. um but the moment like I gave birth and the moment I held the baby, I just like this overwhelming sense of like love and this feeling that this emotion that you didn't even know you could feel um, came about and it's the best thing ever. Like yeah. even though I might be, you know, operating on lack of sleep and, you know, um, you know, I might get embarrassment from like, you know, tantra, uh, you know toddler tantrums in, in public. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all worth it. And I'm even thinking about having much more as well. Yeah, yeah. It's my partner that's like, oh, no, I think we should, we should, we should like maybe stop. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of like how that's impacted work, um, I don't think I've really changed that much. I think I've always been quite empathetic and uh -huh. quite um, uh, patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it has done is made this very subtle like, change in perception yeah um i'll give you an example so when a team member comes to me and you know she um maybe not be having the great greatest time like maybe her client is giving her a hard time um i would kind of empathize with her situation and i would put myself in her shoes and ask myself what would i want me to say mm. like how how would I want to be treated in that situation and so that's kind of how I've always approached you know talking to to different team members 
Um, but the subtle changes, like now I've started to have that extra add-on, which is like, what if that, what if this person is my son? How would I want the person, like how would I want my son to be treated? Oh, wow. And yeah. I think just that extra layer, Yeah. I don't know, it just it makes you think slight, like ever so slightly differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't a, explain it. No, no, I, I, <laughs> and I totally get that because yeah. it's like you're not, yeah, you're not treating that other person as an image of yourself but as someone, yeah, and yeah. it's not saying you don't care about yeah. please, but someone yeah. that you, you truly love yes. and like what, want the best for and, yeah. but also like I guess want them to learn and do their best as well and be their best self. So you might be saying something even more of a um, more of a constructive criticism mm. that you might have held back on before as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's super interesting and it's so important that you're aware of that as well yeah like I think before having the child I don't I'm not ashamed to say this but I probably thought I was the most important person in my life um and so I would you know think about oh how would that impact me how would I want to be treated yeah, yeah sure but now having um you know a child they become the most important person and so everything that you do it's just ever so slightly impacted by by this shift yeah do you think um Growing the business is like a family? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, if you ask me what I am most proud of, um, sure, I'm proud of, you know, having new clients and, you know, winning new projects and all that. But to be honest, the thing that makes me most proud is looking at my team and seeing them, like, grow on a personal level. Yeah. So when they tell me that they've moved out to a new apartment or they bought a new house or that they have a baby on the way or they're getting married, like the, that brings me incredible joy. Yeah, wow. And I feel so proud that I've kind of, me and Howard, we've built something that, you know, people can depend on and yeah. rely on and build a lifestyle on. Um, that's, I think that's something that, that really drives me. Yeah. yeah. What's the culture like at Edgeread? Uh, I mean, everyone thinks their culture is amazing, ah. right? <laughs> uh, so the culture that we build, and this is the reason why Howard and my um, kind of um, relationship as co-founders works so well, mm. is because we have um, very similar values. And an example of that is the way that we value our team. Mm -hmm. um, from the get-go, we've always been um, the type of people that put our team member first. So their health, their well-being uh, comes first. Mm -hmm. And if the moment we know that they're working more than they're supposed to or that they're given a hard time by the client or they're just not having a great time, like that's not happening. Yeah. Like we act straight away um, and we um, – we always put people first and that's what we kind of distill in our team and our leadership team and so we hope that that trickles across across the business yeah fantastic so um would you so it's looking out for one another um i mean what word do you would you use to describe that what do you mean uh so what word would you use to describe that type of culture in terms of like having having each other's back um Supportive, internalized. Uh, I'm not sure how I would describe it in one word. Um, like for me, I want to build a culture that people feel proud to work in. Yep. Um, something that, you know, suits their purpose in life as well, mm. and that we have a common goal that we're trying to achieve together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think obviously we're all out to make money. Yeah, sure. But I don't think money should be like the the goal or the mission. Yeah. Um, I think building the right environment where people are inspired yeah. and they want to come together and help you accomplish, you know, a common vision. Mm. Um, that's what we want to achieve. And then, you know, if we do a great job, then, you know, reward and money will come and yeah. follow. Yeah. And I, I remember – and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the mission of EdgeRed is to enable 
businesses and companies to make better decisions through the use of their data, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Did so I get that right? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> that is um, that's definitely one part of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we exist as, as a business. Yep. Um, other things that we want to obviously have as part of our mission is to, um, you know, um, grow the next generation of talent as well. Okay. So in, in, in data? Yeah, in data. Yep. yep. Yeah. So we like to, our hiring strategy is normally to hire grads. Yep. Um, we prefer that. Uh, we take the grads and we train them from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that all of our guys generally tend to be more all-rounder um, mm -hmm. because we give, we make a conscious effort to make sure that they're um, not pigeonholed in a certain skill and that they have the opportunity to kind of spread um, across different things. So oh, yeah. we won't have like a pure like person that only does this. Yeah. Um, they will have the opportunity to kind of work on a wide range of things, um, which makes our guys actually is super valuable and attractive in the market. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we could so. be shooting ourselves in the foot there, <laughs> but you know, we have no regrets on that. Yep. Yeah. So not pigeonholed in the areas of, of data itself. So analytics, science or yes. engineering. Yep. So they get exposure to, yep. to the range. Of and people. tech skills is one thing. Yep. The other thing we get them exposed to really early on as well is like commercial acumen, communication nice. skills. Mm -hmm. um, from day one, we get them on like client projects and we get them, you know, in meetings already, so they're exposed to that. And then where it makes sense to, we get them presenting. So yep. um, the like opportunity to learn um, is, is massive and there's no one size fit all. Mm -hmm. um, we generally look at that person and that individual and we let them learn how they want to learn. Yep. So there are some people in the team that um, you know, thrive with structure. Mm -hmm. They need to know what they're doing yep. and they need to be told like, you know, these are the goals, these are the outcomes, these are timelines and they need to hear like external validation. Yeah. And so for those guys, we would make sure that, you know, we have, um, you know, things in place that would help them grow. But then on the other side, we have people who hate structure and they just want you to tell them what they need to do and let them go and run with it. Yeah. And you need to recognize that because if you try to put structure on that person, they would absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, but for that person as well, they think they know everything. Mm. So you also need to kind of guide them to, you know, pull them back <laughs> and, you know, help them kind of walk before they run. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. What do you look for in, um, in the people that you hire besides the, actually, yeah, that's the question. What do you look for in people that you hire? The biggest thing we look for is their, um, ability to communicate okay. um, and how they think about problems. So when we hire, we generally do give case studies and we assess how they tackle problems. Mm -hmm. um, do they do it in an analytical way? That's the most important thing because that is around your thought process and yeah. you can't really train people to think in certain ways sometimes. But you can train people to learn technical skills. Yep. So even if someone comes in without that much technical background, they know they know nothing, no coding language, mm -hmm. we may still hire them um, if they show that they just get the, the commercial problem. Mm -hmm. um, that's the biggest thing. We look for people that um, can communicate their thought process. Mm -hmm. uh, we give them a case study, which has like a very open-ended question. It's yep. like, here's some data. What do you do to like, what, what would you recommend this business to do to do X, Y, Z? Yeah. And from that, we say you can do, use anything you want, use any tools you want, take as long as you want, like present it in any way you want. Um, not technically there's a the right answer, but if there's not, if they don't give us the right answer, that's okay as well. Cause we're just assessing how they approach how they problems. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we have people that come to us that has a full presentation um, deck and they present to us in a presentation and on the other side we have people like showing us like their code yeah. <laughs> and running through their code so totally different personalities yeah. um, but it's about how you explain like how you've done it yeah um communication skills is is pretty tough one to teach mm -hmm. um so by default we would like to have people that can communicate yeah. um and can think about you know how they 
you know, approaching problems, mm -hmm. technical skills. It's not not super high priority. I mean, yeah. it's nice to have, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So it's ha looking at problems from an analytical mindset. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And bonus points for people who actually like try to understand what the business problem is. Okay. So it's like why. Does the business care about this problem? Like, why, why did they care? Is it because they're losing customers and whatnot? There are people who do go and, and um, the extra mile and answer that. Yeah. Like, that's very points. important. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that's really looking at why you guys think this is a business. Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, nice. So, any uh, potential recruits out there if you're listening to this? There's a, there's a tip right there. <laughs> um, all right. We, uh, we like to finish with a couple of uh, questions that I ask everyone, every guest. Um, three questions. Who is the most in, or influential person in your career and why? That's a hard one. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I, okay. I'm going to cheat and give multiple answers. That's fine. So the first um, answer, which may not be surprising, my parents. Yeah. Um, okay. They're the reason why... I do this. Um, my biggest motivator in life, or at least, you know, at the start as well, um, you know, knowing their story and how, like, how they, how much they sacrificed to uh, give me, me and my brother a better life. Yep. Um, I feel like, like, I feel that, that just gives me so much drive. Yep. Like, just. Such an incredible story. Yeah. So if I'm having a bad day and I don't want to get out of bed, like that, that is enough to motivate me to get up and start my day. Yeah. So I'd say they have a pretty huge influence um, on my career. And also when I told them I was going to just quit my job, you know, a, a, a pretty like good job yeah. uh, <laughs> to do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were nothing but supportive. That's amazing. They were like, do it. Yeah. Yeah, go, go for it. What do you, what, like, What's the worst what that can happen? Yeah, what's the worst uh, that can happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, second one is I really admire people who take risk and go about um, doing things like in a very unconventional way. Mm -hmm. So like I surround myself with friends who I think could make me better. Um, so my friend circle, I've got like pretty good like – group of people who actually operate quite separately, yeah. but I, there are different aspects in them that I quite admire. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, when they go out and do things that's like unconventional, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Have you crafted your friends deliberately? Like recently, like overhauled them <laughs> in, in your thirties, like done a big Facebook call. Um, like, you know what? I've known <laughs> you from primary school. It's not going to work out anymore. <laughs> the thing is, I actually call my social media list quite often. Do you? Um, so <laughs> it's I, a good habit of I can imagine you doing that. Though. Yeah, I, I do actually that, just I don't do go that. on social media. Yeah. Except for Instagram, I got that. Uh, yeah, not Instagram a bit, but um, yeah, yeah Facebook I just don't go on anymore. But yeah. I, I hear that if you actually spend time and culling it yeah. and making it good, it, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. It can be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, I. I mean, if you want to add me on Instagram, all you're going to see are photos of my son. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm like, who am I actually sharing this with? So uh, that's why I do the, the, the constant culling. 100%. Um, but yeah, I do. And COVID has kind of helped with that as well mm -hmm. uh, because during COVID, you can't talk to anyone. And now that, you know, things have opened back up, you're like, okay, so who do I actually want to talk to now? Yep. Um, who am I going to go and catch up with? Um, so I think that just was a quite natural booster. Um, and then there's people in the media that you admire as well. So, like, um, I think Jane from Showpo is the always one that, like, did not follow the traditional path. Who's that? I don't know. Showpo, Showpo uh, the no. retail clothing All right. company. Yeah. yeah. Jane. Yeah. Jane. Yeah. yeah. She didn't follow the conventional path. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Just, she's your friend? No, 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 no. I'm oh. saying that she's someone I admire. Oh, you admire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I was going to say, oh, sounds like a good friend. <laughs> no, I won't name friends just because. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, okay, cool. What is the best book that you think you've ever read? Well, I feel like people are going to judge me. Um, I don't read too much. 
Um, yeah. I, every time I get someone on the, the show, I, I expect I, I have expectations that they're like avid readers. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna like Google that. it. It's There's right. this one book that yeah, I yeah. think is like quite like really I, changed my perspective on things. Yeah, I used to have this question geared to like, what's the best leadership book you've read? But then people are like, I, I don't read any leadership books. I'm like, oh god. But okay. you're like a CTO of a company, or you're and you're like, yeah. <laughs> No, I read Hacker News. I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So now this is the best book. So it could be anything inspiring. Yeah. yeah so the book called um, The Almanac of Nabal Ravikant. Oh. I don't think I pronounced that very well. The Al- the Almanac of Nabal Ravikant. So it's actually, um, there's a free version on it online. I can link it to you. Is this book, I feel like I've heard a story, I've read a book about this book and it's like a guy who spends his life trying to get onto like a wall or something and and then like and he watches, he's, he's on a post. Is this a book? And there's a wall coming and he's there and he's like guarding this post for his no, whole life and the wall one. never comes. Not that one. Oh, okay. Sorry. But you should read this one. Okay. Um, it's quite like inspiring, okay. I think. It, make, it gives you a different perspective. What's it about? Um don't put me on the spot. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember. But one of the biggest things that I definitely, it's, it's like a guide to happiness. Okay. Um, Fair enough. So there's just like different philosophies or things that make you think and reflect. Um, and one of the things that really resonated with me was it talked about um, like, like how much would you say your day, like your daily charge out rate is? I, I don't know. Look, like, like, I, I don't know. Just, as if I'm going to charge myself. Yeah, up. yeah. Oh. Like, let's, let's do a grand for like easy calculations. Yeah, let's just say a thousand bucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. Um, and. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for easy calc. Um, and let's say you spend like, I don't know, um, like, uh, again, I'm just going to make it up. You'll spend like four hours cleaning a week. Yeah. Right? So that's like 500 bucks. Yeah. So then. If you hire a cleaner um, and they're like, you know, less than 500 bucks. Yeah, 50 bucks an hour. Then, yeah, yeah you save that. And, and you, they can probably get the job done in two hours. But yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And so you can take that time and do something else more productive. Yep. So it's about um, valuing your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of take that to heart a lot mm-hmm. because, like I mentioned earlier, I had multiple hats that I put on. Mm. I used to do everything. I used to do all the payroll, all the like onboarding and, and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, like, why am I doing this? So yeah, outsource it, yeah. Yeah, uh, we have, uh, we recently, um, you know, put in place a, a, a HR platform. Yep. And we also hired our very first non-revenue generating role um, just to help with all that admin invoicing and all that stuff. Um, which, you know, I really don't, I don't need to be the one doing it. Mm. And that, that, that time that I take back, I can focus on, you know, improving other parts of the yep. business or, you know, doing other things. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So that book highlights the, um, the aspects of happiness and being able to sort of like take back control of your life by the sounds. Yes, yeah. yeah I nice. highly recommend it. I think you should read it. Oh, is that a skim it? Yeah. No, we'll link it in the show notes here. Mm-hmm. I tend to like this question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The other one that I'm reading right now, oh, yeah. sorry, I know this no, is no, 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 one now, yeah, yeah. is uh, Never Split the Difference. Oh, yeah, Chris Voss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that book. <laughs> I haven't finished yet, so yeah, don't spoil yeah. it. No, I'm oh, joking. that's great. Um, but, yeah, I do read that as well. Like, uh, I think they, they're just good things to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, whether or not you apply in practices. Yeah, I was so – I love – like, I've seen a few of his talks and I read his book and mm-hmm. I was like – and there are some – there's some different things that are sort of taken from it. But mm-hmm. – um, I, I think I just read it because, like, of the stories that he had of when he's nego- literally negotiating with yeah. terrorists yep. about, yep. Oh, what is he? This is insane. And then yeah. he, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some good stuff in there. Mm. Yeah, I won't, I won't sort of the, yeah, he talks about like the finding the black swan, which is really cool. And I like, I don't know, like, when I've applied some of those methodologies to like negotiating with clients mm-hmm. on terms and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, what's their black spawn? What do they really want? And like, they just want, they just want this candidate. Or it's like, <laughs> or they, they don't want to pay that, that fee. Like that, that's, that's usually what it is. Or, yeah. you know, like what, what's really the motive? I'm like trying to like the juices and it's just like, yeah, it's not as, not as big as like, um, 
yeah, whatever those Black Swan events yeah, are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in what he described. So, but it, but it does. Um, I really liked the way he communicated, and I felt like whenever I did go into a negotiation after that, I had a lot more confidence in the fact that it's like like kind of like what you're talking about. It's like no big deal at the end of the day, even though mm-hmm. I used to put so much emphasis mm-hmm. on those moments. Yeah. Um, I think what I underlined got it was like you wouldn't be in that spot if they didn't want something from you. Mm. So and I think like a lot of people, especially when I was younger in in my uh, or, or more immature in my career, I guess, is like whenever I'd go into like the end closing, I wanted the deal and I wanted to make it so bad, right? And you, you kind of like got to – take that away and not and realize they also want something from you like they want for for us they want to hire the candidate right yeah um so you know you, you you shouldn't dis you know you shouldn't um devalue what you've done as a service mm. um and you should always you know uphold that as well as like as a source of um leverage mm. because you're you're there for a reason basically so that was like really it kind of drills down a little bit that subtly. So, yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. It was good. It's, it's just such a great book, yeah. 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 Have you ever heard him speak? No. Yeah, no, he's a great speaker, it. yeah. Yeah. I recommend it. All right. What are the three most important lessons that you've learned from running Edge Red? Um, number one, be resilient. Uh, I think we, we mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, definitely a very important Thing to have um, when running your own business or your own project or team, whatever it is. Uh, number two is you know, treat people like people. Yeah, so, like your son. Yeah, treat like someone you would yeah. love. Yeah, um, it's really important. I think sometimes people they get so caught up in like their deadline and the deliverable, and they forget that, you know, other people have feelings too. Yeah. Um, there's no nothing to gain by being a total asshole, right? Yeah. So sometimes you do need to just kind of slow down. Um, everyone's got shit going on. Yeah. Um, and just like the, this, you, you lose nothing by just slowing down and being kind. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? you, you never know what someone's going through. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Number three, I don't know. I don't know what I would say. Probably, um, yeah, like what we alluded to, which is make sure that you've got a network of people that you can kind of rely on, bounce ideas off. Um, Definitely not something that you can do alone. Yeah. You don't have all the answers. And um, it's good to get perspective. Like you won't by yourself think of all the different perspectives, all the different things that could happen. And talking to other people, you may not agree with them, mm-hmm. but I think it's good to kind of see more holistically um, what's going on. So like generally before we do something big, um, Howard and I will talk amongst ourselves, but, you know, we've been working together for six years that like we kind of think quite similarly yep. now yeah, yeah. and we kind of know what each other's going to say or do anyway. And so just getting like fresh opinions or external opinions from other people um, is really valuable yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that as well. Um, yeah, it's such an important um, lesson, I think, to surround yourself with um, people who add value to, to you. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, build that universe. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's a it's a talking point. A lot of the books that I've read growing up is is, is building that network that you can rely on. Um, mm. uh, I think it's Shaquille O'Neal. He talks about having his six is is core six people oh, yeah. that he brings into life. Because he, yeah. he, if you I don't know if you know the story about him, but he, he's gone on to be a, a really powerful entrepreneur. Um, mm. Set up loads of different businesses. Bought into like um, loads of franchises and stuff, but he always, whenever he makes a business decision, he always runs it by six people yeah. before making a decision. Yeah. So he gets different perspectives. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
I don't know if I would quantify it like six exactly, no, yeah, yeah. but, but that, uh, that's definitely just, that's is a, important. That's a one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you don't know. You can just run by someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You don't know the answer to everything, mm. um, and just having an extra perspective could prompt you to think about something else. Yeah, sure. I love it, Monica. I want to thank you so much for coming on board to um, to scale up sound bites. Um, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, and I appreciate you and. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the success of EdgeRed uh, continue and um, and yourself as well. Thank you. No Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>